Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So they met in East Palestine, Ohio. This is the site of the train derailment where multiple cars pouring out multiple chemicals, vinyl chloride amongst them, which is utilized to make PVC parts. The train derailment caused an explosion. There was a fire, the chemicals burning, the smoke everywhere. The chemicals leached themselves into the Ohio River. And the EPA is saying, it's all fine. It's all good. The federal government really nowhere to be seen. And at the town hall that they had last night, which was so fascinating because they had they were going to do it as, a, as you would know, a traditional town hall. And then they decided to do kind of like a breakout where they had these tables set up from different organizations. No, 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 not not the not the rail yard. No, Norfolk, Norfolk Southern. They didn't send a, a representative because they were worried about uh, the representative safety. You got a town of 5,000 people who doesn't know what they're breathing in, doesn't know what they're drinking, and as got described by Dana Perino over there on uh, The Five, parents are afraid to bathe their children. Biden administration is doing, and he said, yes, from what I'm hearing on the ground, the federal government is doing what it needs to do. We're getting the resources that we need. I don't know if the problem is at the state level, but with the... What I did feel that the EPA administrator understood but doesn't know how to deal with is the lack of trust from the community about the data. Um, He's saying that the tests are saying that it's fine, but the people actually don't believe that. And the people who are there, as you saw from our uh, reporting, they're they're saying that they are getting headaches, uh, they're uncomfortable, or they have children that they're afraid to put in the bathtub. I understood that. When I heard that, because you can get bottled water and drink bottled water, I can understand that. That's an expense. But you can do that. But when the woman said she was afraid to bathe her children, that really struck home to me because I don't know how that fear leaves. And then later on in the day, Martha McCallum had an interview with this young woman who said she doesn't necessarily necessarily trust the data. And what she's really worried about is she's worked hard. She saved up her money. She bought a home. And now she's afraid that that investment is going to be worthless. That's real fear. Never mind the fear of, uh, I, I did what I was supposed to in the American dream and it might all be for naught. Can't bathe my kid? The conversation we're going to have today is very different than the conversation they're having in East Palestine and those surrounding areas. Those conversations cut to the bone. It's about how they exist on a day-to-day, worried about whether or not their kids are going to get killed by this thing. By the way, the federal government, not even a suggestion of wearing masks. Why not? I know, uh, masks don't stop COVID. This isn't COVID, kids. This is something different. This is something you might actually wear a mask for. No one suggests it. The EPA tells you that everything's fine. My gas stove is going to give my kid asthma and kill them. But the train derailment that leads to an explosion of chemicals that leach into the Ohio River and are in the air that I breathe, where people are already complaining about not feeling well, Totally fine. No mask is needed. Oh, okay. Tony Katz.
Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything. TonyKatz.locals.com. The phone number, 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. It is the trust issue. I cannot escape this conversation point. It's so imperative. And and I, I unfortunately offer very, very few solutions in dealing with it. How does one get over the total lack of trust? Because as Dana Perino is discussing, there is a complete and total lack of trust. This is what one of the people there in East Palestine, and it's spelled Palestine, but it's pronounced Palestine, uh, had to say about what the railroad offered her. I'm sorry, the audio quality, not good enough to share. Um, Railroad, according to her, called and said they'd pay all the moving expenses, first month's and last month's rent, because she can't go in the house. Well, did that actually get offered? Well, we're hearing about offers being made. This uh, comes from the Glenn Beck program, where a woman uh, called in who uh, owns a dog kennel and talks about people who tried to get her to sign things that would hold Norfolk Southern and others harmless. Now, what I can tell you firsthand is that we had a gentleman from C-Tech, which is the you know so-called independent laboratory. He was sitting in our driveway from the, the night of the derailment, and we had spoken to him, you know, just very informally, and he said that, and I quote, uh, "We follow around the railroad." when they make mistakes and they are happy to have us here. Um, and when, you know, CTEC came to our facility to test our air, they had not offered the services of water at that point in time. Uh, they handed me a contract that essentially said that I needed to hold Norfolk, their affiliates, not limited to, but including CTEC, harmless. Uh, harmless of uh-huh. any future... You didn't sign it. In terms of, oh, of course not. Yeah, good. Um, but unfortunately, 340 other residents did sign it. Wow. And, and that's where my heart just breaks for these people because we don't know the long-term repercussions of what these chemicals can do. No, we don't know the long-term repercussions of any of this, of course. But you mean the first thing that the rail yard wanted to do or the, or the railroad wanted to do was make sure that... They did a CYA. In a world where Joe Biden screams at business all day, all night, all the time, he's never not yelling at business owners, never not yelling about paying your fair share, never not yelling about being good corporate partners. When you know, In a world where all you hear from the political left is a real hatred of business. You're telling me that Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders aren't screaming that this is disgusting? Can we take a moment? I'm not asking your politics on this one. I'm asking about expected reaction based on past results. You're telling me, and this isn't the first story of this, by the way. This is just one bit of audio. This, this, There have been repeated uh, reports about this. People showing up, hey, we'll test this, we'll test that. Here, we'll give you some money. Just sign this and you hold everybody harmless and then we'll do that. You're telling me? That in the backdrop of an environmental disaster, 
Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren aren't on scene wearing a mask or in full hazmat gear screaming that this is wrong? I'm sorry, I don't know what to make of it. Part of my problem in this story is that all of the standard people, the usual suspects, as we would say, are nowhere to be found. Verbal Klimt is just looking around and saying, do I limp? Do I not? What's happening here? The environmentalists, no one's protesting. Comments from Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren that you could see from now until the end of time, constantly being paraded on television, nowhere. The Biden administration, nowhere. Pete Buttigieg, what is he doing? Pete Buttigieg is blaming President Trump for what happened here. Hello. Yes, sir, I was just talking uh, about you. Uh, Pete Buttigieg is is uh, blaming you. Uh, and he's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's all Trump's fault. <laughs> <laughs> this is madness. Buttigieg talking about how the, the, the agency had taken steps to improve rail safety through historic investments. Oh, God, if someone else says historic, I am just going to throw up. But he claims that he's constrained by Trump administration action because in 2018, the Department of Transportation withdrew a rule proposed three years earlier requiring trains carrying certain dangerous chemicals to utilize electronically controlled pneumatic brakes. Now, let's say you want to make the argument that a Trump rule may have led to this disaster. Is there anything about Trump that's keeping you from making sure the people of East Palestine are safe? Anything stopping you from visiting? Anything stopping you from making sure that these people have adequate water? Anything stopping you from ensuring that the air quality is good and finding these people another place to live? Anything? Anything. I didn't think so. A screaming about Trump that has absolutely nothing to do with the situation at hand. And the situation at hand is, this administration is nowhere to be seen. And a rational question is, why not? Which brings us back to the conversation about trust. There is no trust in the institutions, none. And I am left with very few remedies on what to do about that. I don't know if I've got the good solutions. I start with a baseline. You have to vote for better people. For Pete Buttigieg to make the claim, well, you know, because of Trump has nothing to do with what these people's lives are like right now and how you help them. And he doesn't seem to give a damn about that. Is anybody going to notice that Pete Buttigieg isn't a bright guy? Rhodes Scholar, McKinsey Consultant. What a smarmy jerk. You have a disaster, and your first response is, well, it wasn't me. No, your first response is supposed to be, how can I help? That's what human beings do. How can I help? Train derailment, what do the people need? Is everybody safe? Do we have enough uh, uh, people handling the situation? Do we need more authorities there? Tell me what we need to do. How can I be of service? That's the first thing you do. Now, the idea that you would have to explain that to the Secretary of Transportation shows you what a jerk he is. 
smarmy, pseudo-intellectual, and totally uncaring. I'm surprised he didn't go on another paternity leave. The rational person, what can I do to help? You don't see anything. And the people of East Palestine are saying, where's the help? Now, if a member of Congress wants to say that the Biden administration has done this, that, and the other, and people on the ground are happy with what they're seeing, well, that's fine. But the people aren't happy. The people are not happy. They are concerned. Very, very concerned. And rightfully so. And they're concerned because when the EPA tells them, hey, uh, the air quality is fine, you know what the response is that they get? They, the, they got at the town hall? You said the same thing about ground zero. Oh, damn. We're talking about all those first responders who breathed in everything that ground zero had to give on September 11, 2001 and September 12th and September 13th, and September 14th, and September 15th, and September 16th. And they died from it. That's what you told us about Ground Zero. Is the most concrete stamp of, yeah, they don't trust you. So now what are you going to do to earn their trust? What are you going to do to get their trust. How does that happen? And when there is no trust in the institutions, of what value is the institution? It sits there and it gives these edicts and it makes these rules and it makes our life tougher and the resentment grows. Grows and grows and grows. And that's where we're at right now. Absolute resentment of the EPA, of the FBI, of the IRS, of DOJ, total resentment. And the resentment of the media. The only way these things start to get solved is if there is an admission of, we did this, we acted politically here, we silenced these people, we didn't give you the honest answer here, we apologize, we fired those five guys, here we are, let's try this again. It's the only only one I can come up with. And it seems to me we're very far from that. The people of East Palestine are absolutely right to be concerned, right to be worried, and right not to trust. And I feel for them because it's got to be scary not knowing exactly what's happening, exactly what might happen. Agreed, you can't tell the future. But they're not getting information on the present. And when you don't give information... Other information will fill the vacuum. And that information could involve conspiracy theories and Lord only knows what else. Um, soon, I'm sure we're going to hear how we can help the people of East Palestine, and I plan on doing just that. But I can't help the institutions until they start helping themselves, until they think it matters. And I hope that's sooner rather than later. I'm Tony Katz. So parts of the uh, grand jury investigation in Georgia have been made public. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. I mean, this I just came out like an hour ago. Um, I haven't had a chance to go through it all yet. Um, the report uh, shows that some witnesses may have lied 
under oath. And this is the special jury investigating whether then-President Donald Trump, anybody connected with him, committed any crimes while trying to overturn uh, the election loss in Georgia. The release was ordered by the Fulton County Superior Court Judge Robert McBurney. He's the one who oversaw the special jury. Prosecutors had urged him not to release the report until they decided on charges. And, of course, there was the media side led by the Associated Press saying, oh, we want to see this thing. So McBurney tries to split the baby, saying it's not appropriate to release the full report, but uh, here's a... Here's a little here's a little tickle. <laughs> here's a little tease of the thing. The report kind of indicates as uh, as per the reporting that the majority of the grand jury believes that one or more of the witnesses may have committed perjury in their testimony and recommends pursuing indictments against them. That doesn't mean Trump just so we're all perfectly clear, I'm not, I'm, that's not a defense. I'm just making sure we're following the story properly. What uh, what they could have lied about, we don't we don't know. Like I don't have that part anywhere as of yet. And I certainly haven't been able to read through um, whatever redacted version of the grand jury report um, that they put out there. Uh, <laughs> This drives people crazy because for people on the political left, they're going to say, you see, the election was on the up and up and uh, and you're all crazy for thinking otherwise. And the response is they pulled ballots from a suitcase underneath a table in Fulton County, Georgia. I saw it with my own eyes. What do you want me to say about that? Why do you want me to say that that is normal? It's not. It's altogether nuts. The state of Pennsylvania, their entire 20 electoral votes should have been discounted. Why? Because it's the judiciary that decided the place and time and rules of the election, not the legislature. The judiciary usurping the authority of the legislative branch, and therefore all 20 electoral votes should have been cast aside. Now, even with that, Biden would still be president. Just uh, doing the calculation, doing the mathematics, he would have been president. Um, that that much is true. We saw things in this election that shouldn't make you feel good. We saw things in, I should say, this election, 2020 election, time flies, that are problematic. You don't think so? You really don't think so? You think everything was fine and clean? You know what? That's... I mean, there's there's weird and there's political... And then there's... embarrassing! It is. It is. I can live with the fact that Biden won an election. But man, you shouldn't live so easily with the idea that it was all fine. That you allow people to uh, have these votes without properly signing uh, ballots. That you actually think mail-in balloting doesn't lead to fraud. Of course it does. It at least leads to the opportunity for more fraud. Of course it does. Which is why what the political right has to learn is fight like the political left. If it's legal, get out there and do it. Ballot harvesting, ballot curing, all of it. Then win and then make changes so we can have smart election rules. Speaking of smart, Joe Biden told us the economy was fine. Then there's producer price index, which... 
doesn't tell us that at all. That's next. I'm Tony Katz. I have tried repeatedly to ensure that when I'm discussing the market, when I'm discussing the economy, when I'm discussing the differences between Wall Street and Midwest Main Street, that I am delivering it to you directly and thusly, straight. Not what I think, but what I am seeing. And I often discuss where things, well, confound. How can the economy be in this place, but yet I see so many people shopping? Retail sales up, but you take a look at where the consumer price index is and you're like, wow, that went up. So how, how, where's the money? How do these people have it? And then today, today was the producer price index. And that is up 0.7%. The estimate was what? 0.4 blew that out of the water by almost double. That's what the people who actually do the manufacturing are paying for goods. And it gets coupled with a report from the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, that will stand your hair on end. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Holy cow. These numbers. They, they, they at least show that we're, we're not crazy people. In the conversations that we have, we really are addressing things in this appropriate kind of manner, meaning we're seeing what we're seeing and we're sharing what we're seeing, not what we wish to see, not what we desire to see, not what we want people to see, what's actually happening. And what's happening is not good. Dr. Matt Will joins us, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Uh, I, I he, he, never, he never often has good news, but he certainly has uh, the news. And so uh, start with, dear Lord, what does this report say to you? Well, Tony, I have to borrow a phrase from President Biden and call it a, a malarkey show. Ah, I just have to toss that out. <laughs> the old malarkey show. I, I, I am just. I about fell out of my seat when I saw this report. 0.7. This is consistent, Tony. This is consistent with what we saw in the CPI report the other day. Remember, you and I were talking about it, and I said, maybe it's an anomaly. It's been on the downward trend. We have to get other data to see if this is real. Data, it's real, Tony. It's real. 0.7%. Again, I multiply by 12. I do that tough math. 8.4%. The core inflation on this, 0.6, 0.6, that's 7.2, Tony, 0.6. That's the highest number we have seen since the middle of the highest inflation rate way, way back in March of last year. And Tony, you mentioned goods and services, uh, 1.2 for the month. For the month, Tony, that's 14.4% annualized. Now, ready for everybody sit down. I hope everybody's sitting down. I'm in my chair right Energy. now. Okay, get, get, get a bourbon and a cigar ready. You're going to need it for this one. Energy, 5% for one month, Tony. One month, that's 60% for the year. One month is 5%. Tony, we are right back into the middle of the hurricane. The inflation hurricane is here. It's consistent with the CPI report we saw the other day. I am scared. It's it's a very, very strange number, that energy number. And I want to I want to dig in deep. When you say you're scared, that concerns me. But let's go through it. The energy number in November was down 2.2%, down 6.7% in December, which was a massive drop, and now up 5 First, we, we talked about energy the other day, the difference between gasoline and energy. 
when you see this number, what is it the signal of, whether it's policy or something else, and when you say you're scared, where is that fear and where is it directed? Well, it's directed primarily towards the demand, Tony, because in the United States right now, we demand 14 million barrels per day of what we call field crude. That's how much our economy, our manufacturers, that's how much they need right now today to do their job. We're only producing 13 million barrels per day. So we are short, Tony. So what we're seeing is we still aren't producing what we need to produce. We still aren't pumping out the crude oil that the United States needs to do its job. And that's pulling this up. Crude oil, Tony, becomes a lot of things. Gasoline, jet fuel, a byproduct is natural gas that you heat your homes with. So there's a lot more than just what you see at the gas pump, which has been down recently. But the overall energy of our economy is up. Tony, look at your look at your heating bill. Everybody go pull out your energy bill last month and tell me it wasn't up at least 20 to 50% more than last year at the same time. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Um, there, There's some other things to take from this number, though, when you take a look at this. And one of them is how core PPI was up half a percent compared with expectations of 0.3. Core is usually described when we talk about the consumer price index, excluding food and energy. So you exclude food and energy what are the other things that we're dealing with here? Uh, trade, transportation, warehousing, some other things. What are those things? And is that a signal that can provide to manufacturers any level of comfort? Um, no. No comfort, Tony. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm you know, sorry, you've got too comfortable not. on this show. Really? It, really? That is a... That, that, I, I could just picture your face when you're saying that. Like, why? Why are you bothering me with these questions, Katz? But, but it's that simple, Tony, because the core, which is a 0.6, is 7.2% annualized. 7.2. There's, what is, you asked me what's in it. Goods and services. Goods and service. So you go to the restaurant, Tony. You mentioned it the other day. You can't get in. The line's out the door. So guess what that means? What, what, is, a, what is a store going to do that has an excess supply of customers they're going to increase their prices. That's how you manage that overflow of customers. And goods, don't buy, try to buy a refrigerator right now. If you can find a refrigerator, Tony, the price is up. Because the global supply chain is still pushing up prices. So when you say what's, out, what's in the core, goods and services, Tony, the things that we do on a daily basis other than food. Now let's take a look at how this affects the markets. You often discuss the fact that, that in your view, um, uh, the, the, the stock market, they're, they're all, they're all drug users, right? They're, they're all looking for a quick fix. They're all looking for anything that they can utilize uh, in this. Uh, but it's hard to pull something from this. And this couples with a report that came out yesterday from the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office. And this report discusses the fact that they expect the U.S. economy to stagnate this year with the unemployment rate jumping to 5.1% and that debt, 10 years looking out, U.S. public debt will double to $46.4 trillion. Never mind where that debt number is. That, that number could be anything higher or lower in 10 years. They expect the economy to stagnate. Is that stating that the Congressional Budget Office sees stagflation? And if so, what is it and what's the effect on us? Oh, Tony, um, low growth, 
high unemployment, high inflation. That's what they're forecasting. The, the, and the Congressional Budget Office is supposedly neutral. I don't necessarily agree with that, but supposedly, and they've been controlled by Democrats up until a few weeks ago. And so they're saying high inflation, high unemployment, and stagnant growth. Tony, that's, that's what they're telling us. Um, I don't like that formula, and um, I, I can't disagree with them. But, you know, the source of it, I, I got to just tell you, I, I mean, I know I sound like a broken record, Tony, but the source of it is government spending. And the president was very clear in his State of the Union that he is not backing off government spending. He is going to spend more, and he doesn't care if the deficit doubles. That's a... That is frightening because I would assume that, you know, if 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 you're the layman, right, I do this a little bit more because I, I do this with you and I'm trying to catch up and and everybody's a part of the show is 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 certainly better at, at these uh, data things than I am. But there are some things that hit even the layman with with perfection. If you tell me that the Congressional Budget Office, which the vast majority of people have a basic idea of what that is, right? You you could figure out what it is. Oh, they, they must do the budget, right? Even if you're wrong, you still have a concept of it. If they look at the unemployment rate going to 5.1%, if they look at the economy stagnating, people say, oh, damn, that's pretty bad. So why is Biden telling me this? Why is uh, the media uh, telling telling me this? Does the market react more to something from the Congressional Budget Office like the layman would? Or is the market reacting more to the fact that you've got these massive jumps that took place when people thought we were on a downward angle? Well, okay, Tony, I want to answer one question you asked and one you didn't. The question you asked, which is what's the market reacting to, it's the drug addiction. It's the fact that this inflation report says you're not going to get cheap money. I'm sorry, you can go to the back alley, but you're still not going to find your cheap money. So that's why the market's dropping today, because they know they're not going to get their cheap money. But as far as another question that I, embedded in what you said is this CBO information. Tony, I, I wish we had time to discuss this deficit, just the deficit, not the budget. The deficit alone this year is going to be over 5% of our economy. Tony, think if, you're enti- if your entire household you ended the year with 5% more credit card bills than you did at the beginning of the year. 5% more credit card bills. And the forecast is that's going to go up to 8% in the near future. So, Tony, that's just the deficit. The, deficit, the, 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 the debt of the country, the outstanding balance. So, Tony, we're adding 5% to our credit card this year. But the outstanding balance is infinitely more. We're something around. i got to look it up. I don't have it in front of me, so if someone calls in and complains... We're about 55% of our GDP is in debt. 55, Tony, how can 45% of the people pay off 55% of the debt? That's mathematically impossible. This is not a good direction. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Uh, find him on Twitter, Dr. Matt Will, W-I-L-L. This couples with another story. And we've talked about the layoffs uh, before. You know, we saw good hiring uh, last month. We were impressed by the hiring last month. 500,000 jobs. We said, my gosh, what what an incredible thing. And, And you tempered that and said, yes, but remember the layoffs that we've seen in the tech sector. And the reports have said that we'll see nearly 250,000 layoffs in the tech sector. We've seen it from Amazon. We've seen it from Microsoft. We've seen it from Zoom. Today's announcement, DocuSign, 
is going to lay off 10% of its workforce. And they all engage the same basic conversation. We're taking a look down the road and market forces, and we're making sure we're properly aligned with our core needs. What they're saying is, is that things are bad ahead, and we simply can't afford to pay for these things uh, that uh, don't provide us any value. Everyone sees the bad ahead, or at least tech does. Do other businesses start following? Of course they do, Tony. And, and I think you, you said it perfectly. They're looking to the future. I know this is a shock. You might want to write this down. Companies want to make money. Okay, it's a very important concept. If you forget that, you Got can it. write it down. I did. Companies want to make money. So guess what they're doing? They're just seeing the future. They know their orders. Tony, they're the best leading indicator. Companies know who their customers are, how much their orders are placing, if the orders are declining. These companies know what the next two, three years look like, and they're cutting in order to make money. That is not – and remember, we're still 5 million employees short. We have, we're still not up to the, the level of employment we should have been pre-pandemic. We should be 5 million jobs more, and we're cutting, and people aren't going back in the workforce because the president wants to pay people not to work. Dr. Matt Will, economist, the University of Indianapolis. There are different types of economists, and you've talked about this uh, before. Um, in, in, in your circles, in your world, is it a looking at each other and sipping on that bourbon saying, what the hell are these people doing? Is, is there, are, are there recommendations that get made that get listened to ever? You know, Tony, that is a great question, and I have to tell you, um, there's two circles. We, you just mentioned it perfectly. There's the classical economists, the nerdy ones that you hear about working in the universities, and there's the, the financial economists like me who were kind of anomalies in a university. We're usually on Wall Street. The nerds, the classical economists are loving what Biden's doing. They're saying, no, this shouldn't be happening. No, he's spending the money. That's supposed to make the economy better. No, he's supposed to be increasing taxes. That's supposed to make things better. He's doing everything they say, Tony. And it's not working. And the financial economists are saying, we told you, you can't shrink the private economy, grow the public economy, and think it's going to be good. They, those in the, that's in the financial economics world, Tony. This all is common sense. We've talked about this. You can go listen to every one of your show. Nothing here is a surprise to you and me. It's a surprise to the classical economists who just look at Keynes and read a book and never had a real job. See, now you're throwing shade on John Maynard Keynes and classical economists, which, of course, I love. Uh, his name is Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis, uh, throwing heat today. Uh, sir, I appreciate you being with us. We've got more to get to. I'm Tony Katz. All the liars are calling me one. Well, it's about dang time. The FBI searching the University of Delaware looking for the documents classified documents from joe biden it's about dang time what took you so long tony katz tony katz today so good to be with you find everything tony katz.locals.com tony katz.locals.com if you know that the president had classified documents in his possession from the time he was a senator and you know that he donated all of his Senate records to the University of Delaware, you would think that this would be an area you would have searched just a wee bit earlier. But no. 
Only now. Now, what did they find? I don't have an answer to that question. We know that the FBI searched the home of former Vice President Mike Pence. They found two records. They found two records. And I assume they also found some recipes for some very bland cake. I, I happen to like uh, Mike Pence, but but I can't imagine he likes a uh, he likes a lot of punch in his cake. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll have the man over for cake one day, and we'll put a we'll put a few in front of him. We'll see we'll see what happens. Two documents. I don't like it. Two documents. Joe Biden had classified documents at his office at the UPenn Biden Center, which he held between the time he was vice president and the time he ran for president. He had documents at his home. And of course, there was multiple access points for Hunter Biden. Lord only knows what associates he has. And since we don't have records of who actually shows up at the Biden house, I guess we'll never know. And then there's a whole conversation about what took place in Boston. They grabbed some records there. And then you learn that he had classified documents from the time he was a senator. Now you have uh, the searching of the University of Delaware. I want to know. I want to know what they found. That's what I want to know. What did the search bring us? Normally, I don't need to know. This one, I want to know. And then, of course, I want to know who was visiting. Who had access to these things? What records do we have of those people who are engaged in access of uh, the, the these records? What record do we have of the people who access the records? That's right. That's right. Try say that on radio. Not easy people not easy at all find everything tonycats.locals.com tonycats.locals.com oh don lemon you do not disappoint that story is coming up this is tony cats today